the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email and just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. You can uh, check out some of the downloads, see you the next event that we're doing, and just shoot me an email if you have any money questions. Got a show, I got a question coming up later in the show from uh, regarding life insurance. So exciting stuff, right? Well, let's talk about the market first because I'm going to take a look at things as of the close on November 2nd. And let me give you a, an update in terms of where the market is. And lately, I've been trying to consistently explain to people. Hey, what's in the S&P 500 and what's in the NASDAQ? Because that's what you hear about mostly on the news. And they're the most similar that I've seen um, in the last 30 years that I've been doing this. And so the S&P 500, when you think about that, that's the 500 largest companies in America, but it's a market cap weighted index. In other words, more of the money when you invest in the S&P 500 goes into the largest companies. So right now it's 7.13% Apple, 7% Microsoft, 3.35% Amazon. We got 2.89% Nvidia and between the two Googles, it's about uh, almost 4%. And then we got Facebook at 1.9 and it's all the way down uh, before we get out of tech to Berkshire Hathaway, it's 1.75%. And then we get to Tesla again at 1.65. So a lot of the money in the S&P 500 has gone through to these top stocks. And most of those ones that I mentioned besides Tesla this year have, have really rallied. They've rallied a lot. They're up big time. But also last year, they got crushed. So when we put it in perspective of when the correction started, which was truly in January of 2022, when the threat of higher rates was going to slow down the economy and hammer the tech stocks, they they sold off big time. So even though the returns this year look great, and because Wall Street and everybody wants to reset and say, oh, we start over again in January every year. If you put it in perspective, a lot of those stocks are still down from January of 2022. When you hear the term NASDAQ, that's always been tied towards tech stocks because back in the late 90s, that's pretty much all that was in the NASDAQ. Um, it's more diversified these days, but it's very similar now to the S&P 500. You just have more in these tech stocks that I mentioned before. So in the NASDAQ, 11% of your money's in Apple, 10.25% in Microsoft. You got 5.5% in Amazon, 4.18% in NVIDIA, almost 4% in Facebook. You got Broadcom in there at three. The two Googles, you have at almost six. Tesla, 2.75. And you're all the way down to that next stock before you get out of tech, which is Costco 
at 2.16%. So very similar in the returns this year. If we look at the returns of the large cap space. So when you look at stocks, you're saying, okay, how is typically the S&P 500 doing, for example? But when you're doing portfolios and you're actually building portfolios, you have way more asset classes than just large cap. You have large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, uh, commodities, real estate, and and different types of bonds in the portfolio. So very rarely you just S&P 500. Now, has that paid off over the last 10 years? Yeah, it's been the best asset class to be in large cap growth. But there's been many other decades where other asset classes have outperformed by quite a bit. So if we look at it for the year, if the NASDAQ is up 37%, right? The S&P 500 is up 13.9%. The NASDAQ's winning because of that overweight to tech. Now, if we break down the market further and we say, how is everything doing? Because when you look at the S&P 500, you're not, and, and you were to say, okay, let's, if, if I equal weight the S&P 500, there's actually quite a few mid cap size position stocks in there. So if you were to look at an ETF that I mentioned a bit in the past, I don't own it or it's not, a, and it's not a recommendation. It's just how do I look at the overall market and how it's doing? So if we look at, um, Invesco's ETF, it's as simple as RSP. It's an equal weight ETF. So if you put, 500 bucks in there, technically, well, not technically, basic, the, the basic idea is that you'd have a dollar in each of the companies. It's it's not overweighting into the top 10. That ETF total return with dividends is flat for the year. So while the S&P 500 is up 13.9%, if you equal weight it, and all of a sudden aren't weighting towards those top companies that I mentioned, it's pretty much flat for the year. If you look at other ways to break down large cap, because when you're investing, you have large cap growth, which you're looking at companies that are growing revenue very quickly. You got large cap value, which you're trying to find companies that are beaten down, trading at a discount, low PE ratio, low price to book, things like that. You have growth and you have value. So if we look at that, we get say a Vanguard growth ETF, VUG, total return for the year up 30.53%. But if you look at value, VTV, their Vanguard Value ETF, that's down 0.22% as of November 2nd. Big divergence there, right? 30% versus down 0.2%, 0.22%. So it's been a year where out, growth has drastically outperformed value, but I'm going to put that in perspective in a minute. Now, another good way of looking at investing, which is kind of a blend approach, um, Vanguard Dividend Appreciation ETF, VIG, that's where you're investing in companies that have a history of paying a dividend and increasing their dividend every year. And so that one is up 4.65% for the year. So kind of, you know, in between the equal weighted and in, in, you know, in between value, which is flat. So let's put this in perspective because again, what we're looking at the market, the stock market starts to react to what it thinks is going to happen in the future. And what everybody thought in January of 2022 is that rates were going to start going higher and that tech stock multiples were going to have to come down because their price to earnings ratio was much higher than the overall market. But that was because they had much higher revenue growth. So when you look at a growth oriented company, it's a revenue discount model, a cash flow discount model to value the stocks. And when rates go up, the valuations come down. So tech stocks got smacked last year in 2022. It's called the tech wreck. And it feels like everybody already forgot about it. But the tech wreck occurred. 
and tech stocks came way down. And so let's take a look at each of these different ETFs that I've mentioned from January 3rd of 2022, which is the first trading day in the year last year. And how have they done since then? What's the total return been if you would have been in these stocks since January of last year when the when the thought of higher rates and slowing the economy, how has the market really done in these different uh, ETFs? Well, the QQQ is still down 8.46% since January 3rd, 2022. If we look at the Vanguard growth ETF, it's down 13.34%. If we look at the S&P 500, it's still down 7.33% since the January 2022 highs. And then if we look at the Invesco Equal Weight ETF, RSP, it's down 11.7% since that period last year. Now, remember how I mentioned that this year value is down 0.22%, that value ETF? But if we look from January of last year to this year, it's down only 2.68% total return versus the S&P 500 down 7.33 and 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 the Vanguard Growth ETF UG down 13.34. So even though you've had some major underperformance this year in value, if you put it in perspective, especially, which is what you have to do when you're building portfolios, like from last year, you've had overall less of a decline. And that's a lot of times what wealth management is all about when you're getting to the point where, Hey, I'm going to live off of this wealth. So I want to keep up with the market in the good years and outperform in the down. And so a lot of people are looking at saying a diversified portfolio, if they aren't 100% in the S&P 500, like, okay, why do I, I keep hearing about these good returns, but my overall portfolio seems, you know, flat to up six or 7%. And that's why, because when you're building portfolios, you're not building, you're building for long-term returns. We're trying to keep up with the market in the good years. And again, try to outperform in the bad with other asset classes like bonds and international and things like that. So let's take a look at other asset classes and how they've done for the year. Let's look at emerging markets because everybody went in for the year and we've got the war going on in Ukraine. We've got a big slowdown in China. We had a strong US dollar. Not a lot of positive thoughts on emerging markets yet for the year, up 0.23%. International developed, if we look at EFA, which is iShares International Developed ETF, total return so far this year up 6.95%. So if you think about that, you look at the, the equal weighted S&P 500 ETF um, right now being uh, um, essentially flat for the year. International developed has outperformed much of the U.S. because if you look at the Russell 2000 ETF, IWM, and this has been a bit of a wild ride yesterday uh, in the, the last few weeks because Small cap was way down, um, and it, but has rallied in the last week. Um, about 5% or so. Russell 2000, though, which is a small cap and mid cap based ETF is down 1.48% for the year. And if we break down small cap a little bit farther, you look at a Vanguard small cap value ETF, VBR, up 0.2% for the year. And a small cap growth ETF, VBK, is up 2% for the year. And then let's look at real estate. We could look at Vanguard's ETF VNQ down 5.29% for the year. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. 
Will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass? Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. Now let's look at these though since since 2022, because a part of this is when you're going through a situation where here's the expectations of higher rates sinking the economy, where a year and 11 months into that situation where the feds have essentially said, for now, we're done. We're not, we're not going to tell you we're going to be dropping rates there anytime soon. It's going to be a meeting to meeting decision on whether we're going to increase rates, keep them the same or drop them. But most people think they're pretty much done because you're starting to see, even though the consumers held up, the economy's held up, you're starting to see credit card debt increase. Um, you're seeing real estate agents and more mortgage brokers not making much money. Um, autos, you know, anything tied towards interest rates and borrowing money, whether it's smaller companies trying to borrow money to grow, buy capital goods and grow, um, invest and buy other companies, rates have gone way up and that's slowing things down for sure. For sure. So if we look at these indexes since 2022 and we say, okay, you're still putting cash to work. You got to look at your portfolio. What do you own too much of? Most people, it's large cap growth. What are some areas that are still down trading as if we did have a recession already or we are going to? If we look at emerging markets since January 2022, down 21%. International developed, still down 9% since January 2022. The Russell 2000 small and mid cap, down 22.66%. And I will, I, I look at small and mid cap right now and the fundamentals, the, the valuations look extremely cheap. Now those, those sectors are more sensitive to higher rates because smaller companies have to borrow money often to either buy equipment or other companies or, you know, whatever it is to grow. And, and obviously there's been higher wages. So that's why small cap tends to get hit the hardest in the beginning, but tends to shape up as one of the best opportunities once everything has come down. So uh, small cap value ETF VBR since January 2022 down 10% still. Small cap growth VBK ETF is down 27% since January 2022. So it's like everybody's hearing about these you know good returns in the market, but it's very specific to these few large cap stocks going up. And long term, once we get through this tough phase that we're going to see in the economy and the slowdown, there's some value uh, situations shaping up in a lot of different asset classes. Check this out. If we look at any ETF that has to do with real estate, IYR, RWR, and in this case, I'm looking at Vanguard VNQ, an ETF uh, that Vanguard puts out that buys real estate investment trusts. Everybody's been talking badly about that, right? We have all these trillions of dollars of commercial loans that have to be refinanced at higher rates. And so real estate investment trusts, they use, they, they buy buildings and they lease them out. And you could have a diversified one. You could have one that specializes in nursing homes, one that specializes in apartments, cell phone towers, whatever it may be. The biggest one has been the office, right? Everybody knows how bad it is in Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, um, Chicago, downtown Houston directly, for example, how, how people have just left and buildings are empty. Um, and so everybody already knows that. And then there's the issues of having trouble to refinance. But look, there's a lot of REITs, real estate investment trusts out there that are only 30% leveraged and don't have a ton of office exposure, yet they've sold off as if they do. So VNQ, an ETF that invests in, in real estate and so own various REIT companies, 
Um, and by the way, what a REIT is, is that it's a, it's a type of corporation, right? So you have most companies that trade on the New York Stock Exchange or, or the NASDAQ are C corporations. When you're investing in real estate and you're a real estate investment trust, it's a type of corporations that's set up and you have to pass on 90% of your net to your investors and there's different tax structures there. So REITs typically pay a higher dividend because of that required payout. And they're based on, I'm going to buy this building, I'm going to lease it out to somebody else. Um, so it's a, it's an income play. And most of those are down 28 to 35% since January 2022. One of the steepest decline in REITs that I've seen. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on as we get well, the, the, the real pain could be in the next, you know, couple of quarters as a lot of those refinances have to happen. And a lot of buildings are revalued at these higher rates. But again, it's something that when you look at REITs for the year, they're only down 5%. But again, the market looked way ahead and said rates are going way up and those REITs sold off and got hammered big time already. And so when you're building portfolios, it's, it's, you know, large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, bonds, you know, different types of bonds, right? And so um, I'm going to talk about some fixed income issues in a moment, but let's stick with stocks for a second. And how are revenues and earnings actually doing? Because going into this earnings season, so right now we're, you know, about a bit over halfway, uh, a little over halfway on the S&P 500 in terms of earnings reports. And there was a, a expectation for an earnings decline. Um, now, I'm recording this on the 3rd on Friday. So this is some numbers from FactSet. I love FactSet. Um, if you Google FactSet Earnings Insight every Friday uh, during earnings, they give a great update, probably one of the best ones out there on the market. And so this is from last Friday. So as of today, it's already about a week old, but you know, I'm recording this really early. So you can look at the update. Um, so far, nine sectors. So there's 11 sectors in the S&P 500. Um, you know, between consumer discretionary communication services, energy, materials, um, utilities, you know, those are all the different sectors. So nine sectors reporting a year over year growth in revenue that's led by consumer discretionary and consumer services. Um, two sectors reporting a year over year decline in revenues. That's energy and material. Okay. Revenue growth is coming in at 2.1%. Now that doesn't sound very exciting. The S&P 500 is only growing revenue 2.1% from the same quarter last year. So a bit mediocre. Um, but at the same time, that is the 11th consecutive quarter. If this is what we end up at, at 2.1% revenue, it's 11th consecutive quarter of revenue growth for the index. You know, companies like Apple just reported, it looks to be opening down about 2% today, um, beat on numbers, but they're, uh, you know, between... China and uh, MacBook and a couple other ones basically talk down revenue growth for the next quarter. So it's all about expectations. So a lot of companies are coming in beating earnings estimates, but saying, hey, we're going to see a tough quarter or two. Um, earnings, like I said, have come in better than expected. If we add the numbers from companies that have already reported this since last Friday and and estimates that of companies that have reported earnings already, we're looking at about 2.7% earnings growth for the S&P 500. That's better than the decline that was expected. In fact, 
it's going to be the first quarter where we had year-over-year earnings growth reported by the index since the third quarter of 2022. So we basically had almost four quarters of earnings decline in the S&P 500. And that was as a result, maybe rates are going up. We've got labor issues. We've got inflation. So you've got, you know, when you think about investing, it's relatively simple, right? You've got, here's the company's revenue. And is the revenue growing? Here's all the costs, right? Are costs being contained? Are they, are they, or are they going up a lot? Are they really subject to inflation and higher employment costs? And, you know, then you've got the profit and what are, where where are each of those going? And so a lot of costs were going up that were eating into revenue or eating into profits and revenues have not been growing super quickly. Um, Eight of the 11 sectors are reporting year over year earnings growth led by communication services, consumer discretionary and financials. Three sectors are reporting year over year decline in earnings. It's energy material and healthcare. So all in all, when you look at the stock market, one of the basic measures is the price to earnings ratio of the S&P 500. So what is the price divided by the earnings? When you look at a stock, what's the price of the stock divided by the earnings per share? And you get this ratio. Right now, the PE ratio of the S&P 500 is 17.1. That's below the five-year average of 18.7 because tech stocks have had it trading much higher. And it's below the 10-year average of 17.5. So we've come down. There's been a big correction um, since, uh, you know, late mid July on most of these indexes, uh, back in, I think it was around July 18th or so was a high, the S and P 500 was up about 20% at one point. And so the market has pulled back on, on tamer expectations going forward with the, you know, rates just continuing to go upwards. Um, when you get to, you know, recessionary levels, it's usually around 14 to 16 PE ratio, um, you get down to like, you know, sometimes eight and nine, like 08 and 09. Um, but a really harsh recession, you're tending to see, you know, 12 to 14 PE ratio. So right now, the market seems to be digesting higher rates and the Fed seems to be done. So it's not like the stock market is like drastically overpriced or still not priced for a tough few quarters. It's not too bad. You know, again, we've pulled back since the highs and we're still negative since January of 2022. So a lot of people are scared to invest extra cash because they're like, oh, the market's gone up so much this year. Well, no, it's a handful of stocks. There's a lot of other opportunities down there that are still trading down from when we kind of peaked out in January 2022. The Federal Reserve does seem done for now. Um, like I said, Jerome Powell said, hey, we're, we're, this is meeting by meeting. We're going to go meeting by meeting. The yield curve is still inverted. And so what that means is, is that an inverted yield curve means you get paid less money by loaning it out for a longer period of time. So if you're loaning money to the U.S. government by buying two-year bonds, you're going to earn 4.95%. So it's still, you know, really high rates since 2006. The 10-year is only paying 4.77% as of the close on 11.2%. So we still have an inverted yield curve, which, you know, is typically when the yield version curves at some point, that's because there's a recession, right? The Fed's raising rates. That's the short end of the curve. And then eventually the 10 year catches up and pays more and ends up paying more or the short term ends up coming back down a little bit and it, it all evens out. Right now, bonds are creating a lot of competition for the stock market, right? When you can loan money to the government for 10 years at 4.77%, 
Now, I know what you're saying. You can get 5% in FDIC insured online money market accounts out there, but you know, rates are likely going to go down on those in the future. Right. We can get a little, little lower later. Um, not to back to where they were a few years ago, but you know, probably pulled back down below 5% at some point next year. So you have that reinvestment risk. Um, the other thing is you can look at, uh, you know, can, you can do right now, if, if we, if you look at a high quality corporate bond ladder where you're trading, where you're buying corporate bonds that are, you know, A minus rated or better, and you can do a 10 year ladder. In other words, if you had a million bucks, you could have, um, a, a hundred thousand dollar ladder for 10 years where every year you have a bond coming due at a hundred grand. So, you know, you got you, you invest in a bond that matures in a year and invest in a bond that matures in two years, invest in a bond that matures in three years. So every year, not only do you have interest income from your portfolio, but you have your bond coming due that you can either spend it, reinvest it again for a new 10 year bond or take it and invest in stocks, right? It's that, it's that consistent cash flow that's really helpful, especially for retirees. Um, and corporate bonds are typically best served in a retirement account. But long story short, you can get close to 6%, a little bit more than that as a starting yield on those right now. That's pretty attractive. The most attractive that's, I mean, you haven't heard me talking about that on radio since 2006. I'm doing corporate bond ladders, but we're, I'm doing a lot of that lately in retirement accounts, especially for those people that have a required minimum distribution out of their IRAs. And you want to know there's consistently something that's going to be there to support that RMD required minimum distribution. Um, another option for safe money is you could do a one to 36 month treasury ladder. So it's hard to do this at treasurydirect.gov where you can buy T-bills um, and notes directly. But on a secondary market, like at Fidelity and Schwab, where you can still buy treasuries and, and, and notes, you can build a 36 month ladder where every month you have one thirty six of your account coming due that you can again spend or buy a new 36 month uh, note that's maturing, you know, along that curve, very, very safe, right? Cause you're loaning money to the U S government and you're getting you no know, close to around 5.16%. And a lot of that income is tax free. If you're in a tax free state in many cases. Um, so a lot of really good options on the fixed income side and remember, if you believe that, okay, you can see out there the economy's slowing a bit, the Fed seems to be done, and at some point next year, rates might start coming down. Um, when you look at the bonds that you've bought, those could go up in value. So not only could it be the income that you're going to get from those bonds, but at some point, if rates drop a lot to speed the economy back up, you might have an opportunity to sell some of those at profit and then go buy stocks, for example. So long story short, get your bond money allocated because I think rates have pretty much topped out for now. Um, if you've got a lot of cash on the sidelines, it's a great time to dollar cost average in, conti continuing to dollar cost average into equities. Because like I've said before, they are down still. Equities are still down from January of 2022. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. 
While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. So if for some reason you've been sitting on a ton of cash waiting for that recession to come, waiting for stocks to drop, you have to kind of put things in perspective of when declines started as a result of higher rates slowing down the economy and realize that, okay, stuff is still down from January 2022. Bonds are now paying some of the best rates that they've paid since 2006. And guess what? The stock market takes really good care of you over time. You look at the last 50 years. Um, last time we I looked at it, the market was positive over 74% of the time with an average rate of return on the S&P 500 of, of over 11%. Now, that's obviously no guarantee of future results. And, and you can go through really rough decades and periods like 08 and 09 and big declines. But if you got the proper amount of cash... Stocks that pay dividends in good markets or bad markets and, and bonds that are the highest rates we've seen since 06, you're going to be just fine. So let the market take care of you over the long period of time. I'm going to switch gears and talk about a different financial planning topic here. So recently I had a friend show me their life insurance statement and, and um, she handed me the statement. She goes, it was a term life insurance statement. And she said, I, I know you don't like life insurance, but I'm wondering what to do with this. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay, you've listened to the podcast and you just assume I don't like life insurance. So I'm not sure what I've said in the past that makes people think I don't like life insurance. What I don't like is when life insurance is sold as an investment um, to people that haven't maxed their 401k and Roth and everything else, because there's a lot of, I mean, especially on social media lately, I've seen a ton of this where this a lady that says she's a tax attorney and this is how wealthy people invest. And you get these TikTok videos of, you know, this is where wealthy people actually put their money. Um, no, that's what a video you created so that people buy a life insurance policy where you make 50% of the first year premiums as a commission. And so life insurance is a very, very necessary tool, especially if you have a family. So I love life insurance when it's used properly. When it's sold as a blanket investment and it's sold properly, I do not like it. It's one of the reasons why I started a fee-only practice years ago. I got into the business in 93 with my grandfather. Um, you know, he had sold annuities and mutual funds at the bank. And back then it was a, you know, loaded mutual funds, transaction fees, annuities were actually very useful and very good tool back then based on where taxes were. And then the office that we worked out of, there's a lot of life insurance agents. And um, I, I just, you know, I'd, I'd look at these products and, you know, run my spreadsheets on them. And I'm like, I don't like them. I'd rather uh, buy term insurance and invest the difference in index funds. And the idea there is that term life insurance doesn't build any cash value or investment. You typically buy a 10, 15, 20 year, sometimes 30 year term policy where you pay the least amount in as possible. And if you live through the end of that term, that 20 or 30 years, the insurance just goes away. 
or it becomes so unaffordable you don't want it anymore. And the idea is that you've bought that cheaper term insurance and you've maxed out your 401k and your Roth so that by 30 years, 20 or 30 years down the road, your assets have grown to a point where you no longer need the insurance. That's the right way to do it, right? Um, so the idea is buy term and invest the difference because there's a lot of cash value style policies out there that either invest in a fixed account in the stock market or in an indexed account that allows you to gain a participation rate of the upside of the market with no downside risk, which sounds pretty good. But a lot of times the participation rate drops and the cost of insurance goes up and those things can disappoint you in terms of an investment. So I love life insurance when used properly. I hate life insurance when it's sold as a blanket investment to a person that does not max out their 401k. So before you should ever consider any cash value life insurance, you max out your 401k, you max out any Roth IRA options or backdoor Roth IRA options. You go find out if your 401k offers after-tax contributions so that you can do a mega Roth backdoor 401k. That's a ton of money that you could get in to the 401k plan. A lot of the big companies offer those now. And then you want to make sure that you've saved at least one or two years of your income in a non-retirement account that you can access anytime you want, just a taxable account, a joint account with your spouse, a trust account, and just something like index funds. And at least considered owning rental properties where you put, you know, 20 or 30% down. And after you get rental income and pay the mortgage, you still got some positive cash flow. You got to consider all of those things before you'd ever want to even think about a cash value style life insurance policy. Right. I'm, 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 you know, been in that side of the business. I know how they work. So the idea is buy term and invest the difference because those cash value policies typically disappoint. You get shown an illustration of here's 8% growth. Um, and it's going to be so good. And you're going to pull out so much tax free money. And then you get into it and then interest rates go down, cap rates go down, cost of insurance goes up. And you said, Oh, shoot. Instead of looking at that illustration, I should have looked at the guaranteed illustration which showed the highest rate of insurance and 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 uh, mediocre performance and instead of having a bunch of tax-free money at retirement they're asking you to pay more money into it you know 10 15 years from now so watch out for those things so what is the formula right there's there's a formula for life insurance now when we're doing financial planning for people and we're we can do a very specific replacement analysis something happens to you um, based on what your spouse is doing with work or not, how much do you need in life insurance to replace your net income and still get your kids through college? Now, a basic formula, if you don't have a full financial plan and you say, you know what, I, I'm married with two kids, um, how much do I need? If you just take 10 years of your income, um, so if you're making 100 thousand dollars a year that's a million dollars to to for, of your income right so 10 times your income and then add at least 100 grand per kid and any significant debt that you might have right so you make 100 grand a year that's that's a million dollars there then you have two kids that's 1.2 million and let's say you have a $500,000 mortgage that's 1.7 million dollars would be a safe amount cuz term insurance is pretty cheap so if you're, you know, 30 years old and you're in that situation, maybe you get a 20 year term policy for that much. Um, and you know, you can go shopping online for it. You can ask any, an insurance agent. Um, 
it, you, you make sure that they're a broker, that they can shop the rates, especially if you have any health issues, because certain companies will deal with health issues differently. But term insurance can be really, really cheap. So I love life insurance, right? When it's used properly. Um, I've got term insurance for my family. I've got term insurance for a buy-sell agreement with a business partner. I've also got this hybrid life insurance policy through Nationwide that is actually a cash value policy. And here's why I had to get it, right? So in the state of Washington, Washington and California is on its way and several other states of doing this, they they passed a long-term care insurance tax where so many people are going broke and they're ending up on Medicaid in California. It's called Medi-Cal. And when that happens, it's because they've gone broke. They don't have any other assets to pay for nursing home care. So the state and the feds kick in. And that's been a huge part of the budget as so many people have gone into nursing homes. So what they did is implement a payroll tax. And the only way to get out of it is if you buy a qualified long-term care insurance policy. And for younger people, the ones that make sense are a hybrid life insurance policy where if you end up needing nursing home care, you can use the death benefit early. So, and there's not a term insurance version of this yet. So for a $100,000 life insurance policy, I pay 1181 bucks a year. There's a little bit of it that goes into a, a cash value that's an indexed product. Um, I could put a lot more and try to use it as an investment, but I don't want to right now. And it allows me to get out of that long-term care Washington payroll tax, which would have cost me a lot more than $1,181 a year. So you're going to start hearing about this as California and many other states are trying to pass this um, uh, law This because budget deficits obviously increasing. Mm-hmm. Federal budget deficits are in, supposed to increase from something like $690 billion to over 900 and some billion next year for um, just interest payments on treasuries because rates have gone up so much. So this is coming down the line. Um, so that's, that's another need for life insurance. Other needs for life insurance that I see, um, here's a big one, second marriages. Uh, let's say you, you, um, you know, you have kids from a previous marriage, you go into a marriage and you want to take care of that spouse, but then the assets, if something happens to you, the assets that you've already accumulated prior to that marriage, you want to go to your children, especially if they have children and other family. So you do some estate planning and different types of trusts, and you might need to use life insurance to fund what you need to have done. Um, I already mentioned buy-sell insurance. So that what's happened if you're in a business with somebody and they die, you're going to have to buy their estate out or their spouse is going to end up your business partner. And so most good partnerships have a buy-sell agreement that is funded by life insurance, especially early on when there's not a lot of cash in the business to fund something like that. So you need the term life insurance to fund if one of you passes away. Um, a lot of businesses have a key man that does a lot of selling or is key to product innovation or whatever it may be. So a lot of companies have key man life insurance that says, if this guy passed away or this gal passed away, we would be our sales would drop or whatever. And so they would need life insurance on that person to fund that business. There's also need for pay life insurance to pay estate taxes. So people that have a large estate over 12 point, you know, let's get into the $13 million range. When you pass away, you start to pay estate taxes in states like Oregon, you pay estate taxes over a million states like Washington, over 2 million. California luckily does not have an estate tax, but sometimes people need to buy life insurance to create the liquidity 
especially if there is a family owned business or a large farm or a winery where if mom and dad pass away, there's a large estate tax due, but there's no liquid assets. There's, you'd have to sell off part of the farm or the winery or the business to pay the federal government. And so a lot of times that's funded with life insurance. But when you do that, you have to do it properly. It has to be held in an irrevocable life insurance trust and, and set up with an attorney. And then sometimes we use life insurance if we do some charitable planning where we take, you know, $2 million worth of Apple stock, put it in the charitable remainder trust, get a big tax deduction and income for life. And, a, and the rest goes to charity when you pass away. Sometimes people use life insurance to replace what would have gone to their kids when they're doing that type of really good charitable and estate planning. So very rarely have I ever told people to use life insurance as a pure investment, especially now that bonds are paying so much more to hold. And the pitch is good, right? Life insurance agents, they make money by selling the product. So the pitch is really, really good. They're trained oftentimes right out of college to believe that what they're doing is 100% right and, and amazing. That and the pitch is, you know, hey, you put the money in this life insurance. If you die, your your money get your family gets some money. But as you put money in, it's going to grow tax deferred. Um, you can use certain types of index options where you get to participate in the upside of the market with no downside risk. It's, it all sounds very good. And by the way, when you get to you know retirement, you can pull out what you put in tax free, and you can pull out the rest in the form of a loan that's paid off for your death. So you have all of this tax free income for the rest of your life. Um. And in the past, the rates have been similar to tax-free bonds, right? Now bonds are much higher in rates. But when you look at these things and the internal rate of return, if you live into your 90s, the internal rate of return goes way down. And you would have been better off buying term and investing in the difference in most cases. Again, the cost of insurance, you, you get shown this illustration, it looks really good, but the cost of insurance can actually go up. Cap rates and investment performance can go down versus what you expected. And so something like that, if you're trying to say, I'm going to, use life insurance, like a universal life, a, a variable life or an index life as purely an investment. Don't do it unless you've maxed out your 401k, all of your Roth options, including your backdoor Roth, mega backdoor 401k Roth. You've got index funds for like two plus years of your income. You don't want any more rental properties. You don't want any more stocks. You don't want any more tax-free bonds. You just want something else as an alternative, then maybe do it. But be very, very cautious. And I love my life insurance agent, Paul. Does a great job for me and, and clients when I send them over. Um, but when you're dealing with large life insurance policies or life insurance in general, make sure you're doing it as part of a comprehensive financial plan where you're going to a certified financial planner practitioner, fee only, put in writing that they're a fiduciary and they don't have any money. They don't make any money from the insurance so they can give you that unbiased advice. So that way you're using insurance properly. So with that said, we're going to end the show. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. If you need uh, help with your financial plan, your retirement plan, your distribution, we also provide input on estate planning, taxes, all of it. We do it all. Just check out chadburton.com, my team at EP Wealth. And uh, you can request a meeting there. Check out the downloadables and the next events that we got coming up. You can find me in iTunes, all the different podcast platforms. Have a great day.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.